Every play, every musical, begins with some writer putting words on a page. Hello, and welcome to Stagecraft, the Broadway radio podcast that talks to playwrights and musical book writers about the shows they've created. My name is Jan Simpson, and joining me on a snowy day just before the new play Mankind opens at Playwrights Horizons is its playwright and director, Robert O'Hara, who may be best known until now as the author of the audacious comedies Booty Candy and Barbecue. Hello, Robert O'Hara. Thanks for joining us on Stagecraft. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Um, I'm going to jump right in. Uh, I don't want to spoil the surprises in um, in mankind as they develop as people watch it. But could you briefly set the scene of what the play is about for listeners who haven't yet had the chance to see it? Well, the play is a satire, um, and almost like a fable, if you will. Um, it's about what would happen in a society if conservatism won and abortion became illegal and therefore uh, women's bodies became legislated out of existence and women began to disappear and became extinct. So the play is a hundred years after that when men must deal with their own patriarchy. Uh, I think that's the simplest way to put it. What gave you the idea for this show? What's the genesis of it? Well, it started off as a very short 10-minute play that I wrote for a theater festival. And uh, it was two men in a room discussing uh, one of them saying to the other that um, they were pregnant. And I thought that would be very interesting to see what would come out of two men uh, who had to deal with the pregnancy in a way that men don't have to deal with the pregnancy, that men don't ever have to say, I am pregnant to someone. So it it details all the wrong things that could possibly go wrong uh, and be said. Uh, uh, when someone says, uh, guess what, I'm pregnant. So did you do the 10-minute version? Yeah. It was at a 10-minute festival. It was a, a festival uh, for um, Partial Comfort Productions. They were doing 10-minute plays, and they asked me if I would write one. And so we did it, and it was a, a, it went over very well. And so, you know, I had always thought that it might be something bigger. And I think that's how I do a lot of my work whenever I write. Some, it's almost like stand-up comedy, testing out routines or something. Uh, so sometimes 10-minute plays work like that for me. Uh, and it went very well, actually. Then are you the kind of writer who sort of thinks about where it's going to go or do you just jump in and explore along as you're writing the play? Because it started off as this 10-minute thing about a guy saying to another guy, I'm pregnant, but it opens into a whole world uh, in the full-length version. So did you know that it was going to go in the direction it did or or? Were you as surprised as, as we are as when we're watching it? I was very surprised, you know. I wrote it as a complete piece, as a 10-minute piece, and then once I was commissioned by Playwrights Horizons, I was like, oh, there's that thing I've been thinking about. Uh, and I usually don't uh, start writing until there's a lot of 
juice in the machine until I have a lot of different ideas bumping up against each other. And then I just dive in. I don't know where it's going. I don't know how it will turn out. Uh, I have some idea of where I would like uh, it, detours I would like for it to take. But I think writing to me is always help about surprising myself, really, and engaging myself. So I didn't know where it was going to go. I certainly didn't know it was going to go where it went uh, in terms of religion uh, and in terms of feminism. I knew that it was going to be a world that women did not exist in, but I didn't know what form that would take. And I also knew that it would be, there would be humor inside it, but also it would be satirical uh, and that the humor would be biting in a way. Now, your past plays, um, uh, most notably uh, Booty Candy and Barbecue, have dealt with sexual, racial, and particularly in barbecue, class identity issues. But this one, as you just noted, also takes on religion. Was this a topic you always wanted to investigate? No, it really wasn't. Uh, uh, it, it was a surprise to me when religion came into into it. But then I think when we think about uh, the female body and we think about people uh, legislating the body of people, it, it usually comes back down to some sort of religious ideas and what we think is right or wrong to do with our body and, and what God would like us to do with our bodies. So I think it was sort of natural that it came out, but it wasn't something that I thought about addressing when I was writing Otley enough it wasn't a part of my path that I had hoped to uh, to write about but excitingly it became a very important part mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we so seldom see shows that deal uh, overtly with religion as it began to move in that direction did you have any hesitations about taking on that theme no, you know, I can't, I can't have the hesitation once you dive in. I mean, first of all, I had removed women from the world. So right. that in it, you know, was like, oh, well, so, you know, are you going to back down now? So I think that tire, you have to go full throttle, as I was saying before, uh, that it requires that you just go forward and you go, you go past the la- laughter and you go past the uncomfortableness uh, into the next space. And so uh, I wanted to see what the end point could be in the storytelling. So I wasn't afraid of, of the religion. Uh, I was very excited by it, by it, but I knew that it would ruffle some feathers, but then satire does that in itself. That's true. I read that you went to uh, Catholic school. Could you talk about your own relationship with religion and how it affected this play? Well, you know, I went to Catholic school for one year uh-huh. in the third grade. And that has turned into me going to Catholic school. But I uh-huh. guess, you know, that one year did a doozy on me, I guess, because it was taking, I was taken out of public school and put into a Catholic school. Uh, and I was immediately put into a sort of uh, a combination class of a third and fourth grade class. And it was sort of an advanced class. But I wasn't used to nuns. And I wasn't used to priests. And I wasn't used to services. Those were not what I was used to. I was, uh, I was raised Baptist. And so I would go to the Baptist church with my grandmother. But I wasn't used to the type of ceremony that happened in uh, Catholicism. And it was quite interesting and uh, strange. It was like walking into another world. And uh, I left after one year um, because it wasn't really, I didn't go there for the religion. I went there because my mother thought I could get a better education. And then I complained the entire year and she took me out. 
But my relationship to religion uh, and to spirituality, really, is that I believe that it is what anyone wants it to be. And if you find something in it then that is helpful, that allows you to be a better person, then so be it. Unfortunately, I see nothing but... Uh, examples of religion making people do horrible things uh, and showing by example in terms of what one believes in and how you're supposed to uh, interact with other people who may not have those same beliefs. So that to me has sort of like led me away from organized religion uh, and more into a sort of spiritual state that I believe that there is a higher power and I believe that we are put here to love each other. Um, other than that, I'm not interested in someone telling me what to do or what not to do. You began writing this play before the uh, current occupant of the White House became president. <laughs> um, yes, I did. <laughs> did you change it any to accommodate this new reality? You know, it was like this speeding bullet when we went into rehearsal. I was like, oh, my God, the world has lost its mind. It is, we are now sitting inside of a satire. So, you know, uh, uh, I wrote it a couple of years ago, and I did some rewrites a couple of years ago. And then the playwright, playwright said, you know, we're going to do it. And that was about a year ago that playwright said we were going to do it. And we were still like, it was still unbelievable that the current occupant would be in, in, in the office. And so that as it got closer, as we got closer and closer to starting rehearsal, I was like, what is happening? This is crazy. Uh, and I didn't have to change anything because the world that we live in is a satire. And it sort of fits right into this play. And so if you think of what is going on in reality, you go, oh, I see how this play 100 years from now could actually happen in some strange way. And that was scary. I was also saddened uh, and very concerned also about what was happening in the national conversation with sexual harassment and what have you, and that I wanted to be very careful in the way we spoke about women in the play and about how we explained the play and how we explained its context. So that was very interesting, uh, to be in a room with a, a, a group of men working mm. on a play where women did not exist. Um, and so there were lots of things swirling about as we were working on this play. Even a little bit of climate change was in there. <laughs> absolutely. Yes, and on today, of all days, I mean, this climate is absolutely ridiculous <laughs> now. Yeah. Um, but yes, it all sort of to bleed into each, it, itself in a way, which is sort of like, you know, it's going to be, I knew when I was writing that it would be divisive, but I knew mm-hmm. that you would not be able to leave the theater and not have a reaction, that there would be something for you to react to, that everyone would have a little bit of something to react to after seeing this play. And that is what excited me about it. Now, you usually or very often direct your own shows. What were some of the changes that the director wanted the playwright to make once you got in the rehearsal room? Well, that's so interesting because, of course, the last two plays I wrote, I didn't direct, but this play I really wanted to direct because of its tricky topic and because of uh, the conversation that I wanted to have around it. And I think, uh, and particularly the director was excited to see how do you create an entirely new world mm-hmm. pattern age. Uh, and so there were times that there was just too much language and the director stepped in and was like, well, we actually don't need that. And we've rehearsed it and it's been wonderful and the playwright has seen it over and over. Now we're going to cut it. And what happens is 
the the essence of what you cut still remains in the scene. It's still being carried by the actors. So there was one scene that was supposed to be repeated in a way, and what we decided to do uh, with the director's um, insistence, really, <laughs> was put... Uh, it on the screen so that we are actually listening to it in a different way than mm-hmm. what we had heard when we saw it played out at the beginning of the play. I can't really go into details, but mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking about. That came in the rehearsal process, and it actually changed the nature of the scene itself, which was quite exciting. Hmm. There's also quite often a really distinctive look to your shows, and I see that the set designer Clint Ramos has worked on a, a lot of your shows, and I'm just yeah. interested in what is it about his aesthetic that appeals to you, and how involved you get in how, the look of the show. Well, you know, what's exciting now is that having worked so much with Clint and my other designers, I don't have to actually get too much in their face about things, that I can actually be excited by what they're going to bring to the project. So I would have a couple of conversations with Clint, and then he would tell me what he was thinking, you know, and and he would send me images and ideas, and I would respond to them. But it wasn't wasn't necessary for me to be, to hold his hand. I mean, this is a Tony-winning designer, and he is a brilliant mind also, and completely theatrical. I mean, he doesn't just deal with sets. He's a costume designer. He also helps in so many ways uh, when we're in tech with the other designers and, 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 you know, allowing himself to be a full collaborator with the rest of the designers. So I think what Clint brings is an amazing eye, an amazing sense of theatricality and humor. Uh, And also he knows how to design in large scale on a small stage. Hmm. So he makes the world feel bigger than it actually is. Because when you come and see the play, there is a massive quality to it. And yet it is being told in these little tiny spaces, which I think is actually kind of brilliant and, and, and really came from his ideas about how the play should be seen. And I just love it when I can write something and give it to other people, other artists, and let them interpret it. And then I am interpreting them as we, as, as, as we develop the piece. So that was quite exciting. I work that way through most of my designs. You also demand a lot from your actors, because although this is a very funny play, it's also dealing with some very serious issues, and there are moments when it is extremely serious. And uh, so it requires actors who can make that that turn on a dime. So what were the qualities you, you looked for when you were casting? Well, you know, I really uh, encourage my actors to play the truth of the moment and not play the joke, because I really don't think that I write jokes. I write situations that may be funny, but they end up being only uh, exciting if you do it honestly and and you go with a serious quality even if the serious quality has you saying something completely and totally ridiculous so that was one of the uh, uh, challenges in finding the actors is that someone who would not try and play the funny and who did not seem to, to need the audience 
uh, attention or laughter, you know, because a satire sometimes is not, you know, ha-ha funny. Uh, and sometimes the funny turns into, you know, a sort of choking or a gasping, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I needed the actors to be able to play the truth of the moment. And that was quite exciting. So there were several uh, actors whose work I had seen and whose work uh, whose I had worked with before, such as Anson Mount and Ariel Shafir and Andre uh, DeShields. I had worked with them before and I had seen the other people's work. So it was uh, not as difficult uh, as I as it would be if I didn't know the actors and their work. Mm-hmm. So it was exciting to see the men, actually. Um, and so I, I felt like the entire cast sort of got on board that bus and said, we're going to do this as seriously as possible, even though half of what we're saying is completely ridiculous. Was the dynamic very different because there were no women in the room? Well, the only women in the room were one of my assistants, the stage manager, and a production assistant. And so it was, I always have a very collaborative uh, room. And so I always encourage everyone in the room to make suggestions, to give their thoughts. Uh, and so I was constantly turning back and forth. And we had a, a wonderful uh, literary manager who was also served as my dramaturg, uh, who was Sarah Looney uh, at Playwrights Horizon. And she would come in and give me these amazing thoughts and encourage. And what I thought was really exciting is that they were encouraging us to go even further. Uh, so that was exciting. And But I was well aware of who was speaking when, how long they were speaking, what type of jokes were being made, you know, uh, were we being careful as to how we are going to deal in the world with this new conversation? Because, you know, the theater has always been a very sort of like... Um, well, you can get away with certain things in the theater. You can make certain type of jokes in the theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, to me, I began to listen to the room in a different way. Uh, so it was challenging but exciting, and uh, and every new revelation was sort of sad because some of the people you began to it become closer and closer to home. You began to know people or know their work. Uh, and so it was very interesting to see the different revelations and how they played out in the room. Um, and I think that uh, it's a good thing that is what's happening. Um, and it's very challenging to, to be now uh, uh, as a director in a room uh, and be in charge of the tone of the space. Mm-hmm. What, what's been the audience response during previews? I, I, I will say that when I saw the show, it was very mixed. There were some people who were very uneasy the night I saw the show and I'm just wondering what what's the feedback you're perceiving well I think the most raucous audience is the most diverse audience where there are a number of people who don't look or sound like you who give the rest of the audience permission to laugh out loud or to Mm -hmm. be uncomfortable and laugh But when there is not a lot of diversity, then you have a group of people who actually don't know whether this is supposed to be funny, whether this is something that I'm supposed to care about or laugh at or both. Um, So you're right. It has been incredibly mixed. And I mean, you also have a younger audience. You know, they're laughing through it like it's a comedy, you know, a straight up comedy. And so all of those reactions are valid. Um, I don't think that an audience should come to the theater and every audience should have the same reaction. I mean, 
that's what's so wonderful about live theater. People get up and walk out. People become very, very physically uncomfortable. People are laughing out loud and talking, you know, through it. So there's all these reactions that I think are welcome and, and should be encouraged in the theater. So I am not afraid of audiences being uncomfortable. I'm not here to make audiences comfortable. I'm here to give them an experience, and sometimes that experience is uncomfortable. Uh, and I equate it to what I like to say about, you know, riding a bus, and that I have built a bus with the cast and the crew and the designers, and the audience is going to get on that bus. Now, when you get on the bus, you can't tell me to slow down, or could you take me home, or could you let me off at the shopping center so I can pick up something and wait for me? You know, you have to take the journey. Now, you can get off the bus whenever you want to get off the bus, but you have to take the journey and and the route that we're going to take you at the speed we're going to take you. And that's part of the relationship between an audience and the uh, artist. And so I think that if a bit of uncomfortableness leads you to another uh, place from where you began, that could be actually exciting, like a roller coaster ride in a way. Well, I think audiences are in for a, a very unusual, very special kind of ride with thank mankind you. and um and i thank you for uh for talking with us about it thank you it was wonderful to be here and thank you for joining us we hope you'll come back next time and that you'll listen to all the other broadway radio podcasts which you can find on broadwayradio.com <laughs>